0: Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out nhte.net and be sure you are subscribing to this podcast. If you're already doing so, thank you and tell your friends to do so as well. You can talk with other listeners and even past guests from this show in our Facebook group, which is called NHTE Listeners. There's a link to it at nhte.net. And if you've got questions or comments that you would rather send right to me instead of posting in there, the email address is podcast at nhte.net. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York City, My guest is the Senior Editor of Media and Entertainment at Forbes. He is the author of four books, including his newest, which was just released last month, and is called A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacked Silicon Valley. His writing has also appeared in the likes of the New York Times, the Washington Post, Vanity Fair, and Billboard, to name just a few. And he has even been a speaker at South by Southwest and done a TEDx talk. It's my pleasure to welcome to now hear this entertainment Zach Greenberg. Hey Bruce, thanks for having me on. You bet, Zach. Congratulations on the new book.
1: Oh, thanks so much. It's uh, it's, uh, it's good good to get a, good to get another one out there into the world. <laughs>
0: nice, nice. Well, with all the music reporting that you do, I imagine you have a sense for what it's like when an artist has a new album release. Although in your case, it's a different type of "quote unquote" tour not to mention having to be the interviewee instead of the interviewer. For sure.
1: Yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's definitely uh, an interesting dichotomy there. You know, you're, you're used to being on one end of the thing and and then you put to the other side, but uh, I do look at it a lot, like an album release and in fact try to try to plan it out as such um, with everything from excerpts to interviews, you know, the way I see it, like every excerpt that you put out with a different publication, it's almost like a different single. So,
0: mm.
1: you know, if you're a pop act, you know, maybe you want to have, um, you know, a little, little something for everybody on your album. So, you know, you have, you have the song, uh, and, you know, and one track features a rapper. And so when you go live, you know, you, you pitch that to the hip hop publications and then you have the, you know, you have your country crossover collaboration and then you, you know, you, you go to the national outlets for that one and, and so forth. So, you know, with, with this latest book, um, it touches on music and sports and uh, and Hollywood and tried to make sure that I placed each excerpt with a different outlet that, you know, was, was kind of in one of those different worlds. Um, and then obviously on the Forbes side, you know, that covers business as well. So, um, you know, just, just trying to follow some of the similar strategies that I study when, when artists come out uh, with their albums. Unfortunately, I've also you know, witness the reality that a lot of artists are going through now, which is there is no tour. So, um, I had a whole a book tour planned, uh, throughout March and April, um, oh, you know, wow. going across the country, hitting all the major markets, uh, a mix of book signings at bookstores and, um, you know, Q and A's and stuff, uh, at, at other kind of venues, but, um, you know, tr- really tried to pull in different characters from the book and had spent, you know, months kind of setting this whole thing up and, plotting it out with, with my, you know, work schedule to make sure that everything fit. And, um, you know, and it was like a total wipeout, but, um, you know, Hey, if that's, if that's the the worst thing that happened to me, you know, during the course of this crisis, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. True. True. Um, so you know, doing as much virtually as I can, and just like many of the, the musicians out there who've got work uh, and, and projects coming yeah, out. of this Yeah,
0: interesting. I, I I like the analogy. By the way, before I move on, I I wonder was was the alliteration intentional in the A List Angel? How how a band of actors, artists, and athletes, or was that just coincidental?
1: Um, you know, it was funny. Uh, I was struggling with the title for, for a long time before settling on A-List Angels. And um, we went through a few different ones uh, for a while. It was going to be called the Fame Squad. Uh, and then it was going to be Startup Stars. So I do like the alliteration. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, A-List Angels kind of just popped a little bit for me when it, it came into my head one day. And, and then after that clicked, you know, the, the um, alliterative subtitle, uh, kind of clicked into place as well, so I thought it had a nice ring to it, and my editor agreed. And uh, you know, why not? Why not be a little lyrical if you can, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, and to continue the the analogy, the songwriters that have to wrestle with, what am I going to call this thing, anyways? I love this song that I just wrote, but I really hadn't thought about a title. So, there you go. Those of you listeners who are songwriters yourselves, you see that there's going to be a lot of similarities throughout this episode to to what you do. And I am excited to change things up a little bit this week with a guest that brings us a different perspective on the entertainment industry. I'm also looking forward to the bonus content that Zach and I are going to record after this which will only be available exclusively through the Patreon for this show. It's only 5 bucks a month, and it gives you access to extra audio that I record every week with the podcast guest. Since I changed the Patreon over to doing it that way at the start of this year, there are now already 18 audio files up there, so Zach will be number 19. And you can gain access to all those bonus conversations by going to the show website, nhte.net, and hitting the orange-colored Support Us on Patreon button to sign up. You'll also then automatically get access to all the bonus recordings that come out every week hereafter. I also do some behind-the-scenes type stuff on those in addition to the conversations with the guest. And it's all available for just 5 bucks a month, which, by the way, also tells me that you like what I'm doing and want to support me. Just like my guests who put out new singles, new EPs, new albums, the podcast episodes that I put out every week are my new releases. So your support through Patreon tells me that you like what I'm putting out. Again, just go to nhte.net and use the orange-colored Support Us on Patreon button to go sign up for all the bonus audio. So, Zach, tell the audience about A-List Angels, meaning what the book is about and, for that matter, how long it took you to put together.
1: Yeah, so, you know, the book is about um, really creators uh, from all over the entertainment spectrum um, finally finding a way to become owners instead of just, you know, essentially wage laborers as they've been over much of the past century. And um you know, it's it's a little bit by starting their own ventures and, and, and uh you know owning their own um content and their own platforms, but it's it's also really about how this kind of small subset of that group managed to actually start investing in startups. Some of the biggest companies now uh, out there, dominating you know the world economy from Uber to Airbnb um, and so forth, although I guess both of those aren't doing so hot uh, of late. Um, but you know a lot of artists in particular have been able to uh, to leverage their success uh, in order to get pieces of these companies at a discounted rate or at a point in time when other people couldn't. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, especially with a company like Spotify, um, there, uh, there's a huge number of artists who managed to get in early on that uh, and, and sort of, you know, the fascinating story of, of how they um, were able to avoid the fate of the artists in the, in the late 90s and early odds with Napster, so instead of being decimated um, by this thing, they were able to, to kind of get a piece of it and um, you know share the spoils as well.
0: And how long did it take you to put the book together? Uh, it took me about two years from when I got the
1: deal to when I, you know, turned in the final draft. Wow, but I, I think in a way I, I've been working on this one for about a decade. Uh, that's the amount of time I've been at Forbes, and you know, one of the first stories I was following there um, was in the in the late 80s. Uh, you know, 50 Cent had this big deal with Vitamin Water, where he took equity instead of cash in exchange for an endorsement and started his own formula 50 um flavor and when i think it was coca-cola came in and bought the parent company of vitamin water for four billion plus dollars mm. uh 50 cashed out and it was about 100 million for for oh, his wow. efforts and that was because he had the foresight to bet on himself and wow. to take uh, equity instead of cash so you know that that kind of got me thinking. All right, well, here's something interesting. And um, and as time went on, uh, a lot of other artists I noticed were doing that. Actually, did a cover story on Justin Bieber in 2012 uh, for for Forbes, talking about how he had invested in Spotify early, and he was about 18 at the time. Mm. This was definitely a, a Scooter Braun initiative, not a Justin Bieber idea, <laughs> but uh, it, it was something that paid off really well for for the both of them over the course of time. And, um, you know, that kind of kept me on the, on, on the topic, like, all right, this is, this is something interesting. And, uh, you know, and then, and then it just kind of, I think the thing that really capped it off is another story I did for Forbes back in 2016. Um, it was a cover on Ashton Kutcher and sort of talking about how he got into, into the startup investing thing. And, you know, he, he really has been doing it, I think, um, at a higher level than anyone in the entertainment business and, this was sort of you know digging into to what he and Guy Siri had built together. Guy O'Siri, um, the manager of Madonna and U2, uh, they had created their own fund to invest in, in some of these companies that they were getting access to, wow. and actually wow. getting billionaires to come and give them money to invest on their behalf mm. um, because of all this access that Ashton and, and Guy had. So, uh, you know, th- this story unfurled really over that decade, and... After the Ashton Kutcher story came out, I said, this is definitely a book. So went back to my publisher and they agreed, and, um, and, and A-List Angels was the result.
0: Well, and you sort of read my mind a little bit in that. The next question I was going to ask you is, many times on this show I'm heard asking songwriters what their process is and or where they get their inspiration from for the songs they write. And now that you've authored four books – I would think a similar question could be posed to you. This isn't like an editor assigning a story. So where do your book ideas come from? I mean, you said you sat back and watched this stuff over the course of the first decade of the century that we're in. But, you know, at what point does it become, gee, this is fascinating or, gee, this might make a Forbes article and all of a sudden cross over to I'm going to put this in a notebook designed for this could be a book someday?
1: Yeah, I, I do have, uh, you know, sticky notes in my iPhone. Uh, I have a tab that says book ideas and um, and I just kind of jam on that from time to time. But I think with the exception of my first book, uh, which was a biography of Jay-Z that I, I wrote in 2011, it's called Empire State of Mind. Um, everything has kind of come to me over a period of years, uh, you know, mainly from my own coverage um, and, and what I'm hearing and doing reporting for Forbes. So. That first book, the Jay-Z biography, uh, I was lucky enough that the publisher came to me and said, hey, do you want to write a book about Jay-Z? And I said, of course. Okay. Uh, they had read some stories I'd done covering the business of hip-hop for Forbes and know, and thought it merited a book. Um, but for the other ones, yeah, it was just kind of, you know, you, you keep seeing these sort of themes come back around. And I guess in some ways it's it's like, um, you know, writing songs or writing fiction at the uh a buddy of mine once said he's, he's an artist, like a visual artist. And, and he said, he said, don't worry too much about writing stuff down because the really good ideas will come back to you. Mm. You know, like you won't forget the really good ideas. Um, you know, the, the broad idea, maybe you'll forget, you know, like the specific wording sure. or something. So write sure. that down. But the great ideas will keep coming back to you. And, um, and, and I think, yeah, I mean, not to be, you know, presumptuous or, shooting my own horn or anything as to whether or not these are great ideas but th- they did come back to me over and over again A-list Angels um and my my last couple books before that and um you know if, it's kind of like if you I guess writing a song you know you, you just keep getting this thing in your head you, you gotta put it to you know put pen to paper and um you know and and kind of see how it turns out and uh And, you know, I think every time I write a book, um, I've got the next couple ideas, you know, germinating. Uh, I've had a couple ideas germinating since um, before I wrote my first book that that still haven't turned into anything yet. And, you know, maybe maybe they'll never have their moment, but maybe they'll be the next one. So, uh, you know, I think it's important, though, at some point once, you know, something keeps coming back to you that often to sort of listen Listen to yourself um, and you know and 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 kind of take the initiative and and turn it into uh, turn it into something that can be put out into the world
0: but I love this synergy that has woven itself throughout the first almost fifteen minutes of our talk and seeing how many similarities there are to the type of writing that you 're doing to songwriting because. In a lot of cases it is exactly what you describe songwriters you say you know I've got as you said sticky notes in my phone you know just these random thoughts that come in their head and they go okay you know I don't know if that's ever going to see the light of day but I'll put it down and you know like you said here's stuff from back in the time of your first book that still hasn't gone anywhere and it may never go anywhere but it's there and someday you might revisit it just like that songwriter that goes you know I got this little tune in my voice recorder that I put in there like six years ago and like you said, it keeps coming back around. I don't know, maybe I'm meant to do something with that. So I'm loving all the similarities between the writing you're doing and what we're usually talking about in this show. While we're talking about A-List Angels creating new works, you were also one of the pioneers of the Under 30 Music Festival. Tell the audience about that event and the way that that came together.
1: Yeah, so Forbes, one of our most successful franchises these days is the 30 under 30 list and that is a list of as the title indicates 30 different people under the age of 30 uh in in a bunch of different categories i think we're up to about 15 different categories now initially i think we wanted to do 30 categories of 30 people under 30 but that proved to be like a, a little too broad um, so it's a new class every year uh, a new class of folks in that in that um, industry and i've been doing the music list since its debut which was i want to say 2012 or 2013 so you know and in that first year it was bieber and lady gaga and um you know the, those kind of uh, early aughts uh phenomenon uh, folks and um you know more recently you, you've seen people on there like Billie eilish and post malone and uh uh, make, make it a stallion, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I think that it's, it's been a, re- a really, you know, a thing that kind of changed the trajectory of Forbes, this whole franchise, because before 30 under 30, we really were all about, you know, the Forbes 400 billionaires, but these were static lists. It didn't really change very much. Mm. The billionaires list by its nature, Um, you know, kind of looks at older folks who have a lot of money and it doesn't really change because, you know, they're still having all that money and, you know, even if they're giving a lot of it away, um, they're, they're not giving all of it away. And so they stay on the list and it doesn't change. Um, but the 30 under 30 kind of gives you that, that constant change. And because you, there are no repeats on the list. So once you've been, you know, class of 2019, you can't be back on the class of 2020, uh, there is a certain freshness to it, and um, and so one of the things that that we pulled out of that, and you know, uh, as we expanded beyond just the the list, uh, is a series of thirty under thirty music festivals. So every year we put on our thirty under thirty uh, flagship conference. We draw between five and ten thousand people, and
0: hmm. it's sort of
1: a cross between um, between like I don't know South by Southwest and uh, the TEDx or something. Um, yeah, it's a mix of of talks and panels and and um and then every year uh, I also put together a 30 under 30 music festival uh where we have you know a handful of acts who have either been on our uh, list or we think are going to be on the list so over the years we've had with Khalifa um Normani we had last year Marshmello it's it's a pretty broad mix of folks and um you know it, it's uh it's kind of cool to see the uh the individuals we put on you know, over the years kind of evolved and end up, um, you know, going on to bigger and bigger, bigger, and bigger things. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, it, there, I think one of the things I've, I've been most proud of about it are some of the, the lesser known characters, musicians, um, and some of the stuff we've done abroad. So a few years ago we took the, uh, the, the under 30, to Jerusalem. Um, and we had, you know, a global summit
0: wow. and we yeah.
1: had, I think it was about 500 people there. And, um, I put together a concert in this like 2000 year old fort called the tower of David, hmm. um, in the old city of Jerusalem and, um, and, and managed to get a, uh, a Palestinian rapper and a, um, Israeli rocker and then a, a, a pretty incredible, Youth group called the Jerusalem Youth Chorus, which wow. is an interfaith Israeli-Palestinian chorus, and they all were all together on the same stage. Wow! Um, so you know, it's it's some of the the things you can do with a platform like that. Um, you know, to to bring people together. Uh, and you know, look, I mean, who knows? It's it's still you know, yeah, obviously a long way uh, before um, we have anything resembling a solution over there. But um, you know, I think with under thirty, it's yeah, that's that's kind yeah. of like the next step is how do yeah. we do stuff like that to, to leave a place better than we found it.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And listeners, if you're enjoying this interview with Zach, I would like to recommend another past episode of Now Hear This Entertainment with someone that is a little outside of what you're used to hearing every week. Go back to episode 186. I'll put a link to this on the show page for Zach's episode on NHTE.net. I interviewed Glenn McCoy, and in 25 words or less, he's an illustrator, animator, cartoonist, and children's book author, and his work includes the syndicated comic strips, The Duplex and The Flying McCoys, uh, nationally syndicated editorial cartoons that have been reprinted in the New York Times, USA Today, Newsweek, and even appear frequently on CNN. So go back and listen to that conversation with Glenn. Zach, I want to hit a couple questions that could benefit those listeners who are aspiring performers that listen to this show every week to learn from me and my guests. The first being maybe a good lesson that you can pass on to them that you've picked up perhaps from a music artist that you've interviewed at some point over the years?
1: For sure. Um, Yeah, you know, I think the most important lesson, you know, uh, for those who are starting out is, make sure to, to own as much of your own work as you possibly can. Um, at the same time to recognize that it's not always possible to do that. Um, you know, depending on your circumstances when you're starting out. So, you know, I, I would look at the trajectory, you know, sure. Every now and then somebody hangs on to their own, uh, to their own rights long enough that they're able to stay indie. And, um, you know, to, to, to really, uh, continue on that path without having to give up much ownership, somebody like Chance the Rapper, but, you know, there are other times when somebody will hold out for sort of as long as possible and then wait until they, they get, you know, a deal that they think is, is really fantastic to help get them to the next step. And I would point to an interview I did with Nipsey Hussle, rest in peace. It was actually just a few weeks before he passed away, and he had just actually um, I think that was was right around he, he was nominated for a Grammy. Um, it was maybe a day before the Grammys or two days before the Grammys, and uh, and we sat down in a barber shop in this plaza that he had just purchased, um, where his marathon is this thing called the Marathon Store. And it was a it was like a strip mall that he used to hustle in front of when he was a kid. And he had just purchased, just bought, literally bought back the block. Mm. And um and we were talking about ownership. And his whole thing was throughout his entire career, um, all money in, no money out. You know, keep ownership of of your own uh of your own material. Don't give up that really important asset, which is you know yourself. Uh, but he also said that at some point. It became really obvious to him that you know if a great record deal came along, he should take it and um and in fact, about a year before we spoke, Atlantic had come along and given him a deal that you know gave him gave him the resources to to really put together you know an official debut album that could be considered for Grammys that you know that that had just you know tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars of production and promotion that went into it that he just couldn't do on his own. Wow. And, um, you know, and, and at the time that I spoke to him, you know, he was he was feeling pretty good about that. Um, he hadn't given up, you know, the rights to his music, to his recorded music or publishing outright, but, um, you know, he had sort of split, split it um, in, in some sense with Atlantic so that... You know, they had a they had a cut of it and he had a cut of it. Um but, you know, he was also able to get um the advances that he needed to, to make the kind of ambitious uh work that that he wanted to and and to expand from making great mixtapes to making great albums. And Victory Lap I think, you know, um which has kind of garnered, garnered a lot of interest also posthumously. But you know, that was really the thing that, that put him into that into that next phase that, that he was, you know, he was really making the leap into, into like mainstream popularity um, right at the time he passed away. And I think that was because he, you know, he was uh, smart about kind of sticking to his guns and keeping his own material, but also knowing when, um, you know, to to take on uh, outside help and, yeah. and having the leverage to make a good deal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great case study. One other question for the up-and-comers to gain some insight from you, perhaps a tip on pitching yourself to the media.
1: Yeah, um, well, you know it's funny, and I've learned a lot about this on the other end too, as a as a writer pitching my book to the media. <laughs> you can go the route of hiring a publicist for sure, but um, you know if you have, but it's that's expensive, and um, and the fact is, as a member of the media i can tell you that i i tend to be more likely to respond to pitches when they are sent by you know like a create like one of the creators themselves mm. as opposed to one of the representatives but there's still some rules you have to follow which are also rules that any good publisher should follow which is like don't carpet bomb writers like you can tell when you're a writer and somebody is just you know copy pasting names or, or mail merging or whatever, and it's not directed to you. Um, and it is the worst and we get, I'm not exaggerating hundreds of emails a day. Um, you know, I mean it, it, it is, it is oppressive. Um, and if I own, if I, res- if I responded to every pitch that I got, I would never do anything but respond to pitches. Mm. Um, so you know, if you want an answer, uh, or if you want to be considered, you know, put the writer's name in. Obviously, uh, make sure that it doesn't look like it's formatted as such, where you're just copy and pasting your name, because uh, sometimes you know the the formatting get wonky and and it's obvious. And you know, make sure that you're pitching somebody who who is interested in the thing that you're the kind of thing that you're you're suggesting. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I get pitches about like um i don't know uh I, I get pitches about everything i mean i get you know like i get yeah. hey do, do you want to write about my like cpap machine company oh no i don't oh like, why, why would you think i want to write about your cpap wow. machine company i've never written anything you know um wow and then there are also times when when people will say you know oh i read your story about you know insert incredibly niche thing that i clearly will only write about you know once every (laughs) five years like i remember i did a a story about a um like a high-end cannabis company that uh you know whose wares were sold in in barney's in la so you could actually go into barney's and go on an ipad and like do you know you could set up yourself to, to you know to buy a like a luxury spliff um and it was this whole thing. Uh and then, you know, as soon as it came out it was just deluged oh, with uh, cannabis coming in. Like, I wrote this one story, like I you wow.
0: know, like
1: this is not my beat, it just happened to be a yeah. thing yeah. that I that I did for the magazine. Um so you know, no know, know your uh know who you're pitching. Um
0: Yeah, it's not unlike the the emails that I get where um they come in and they say, We would love it if you could play our song on your station. And I think there's yeah. so much wrong yeah. with this email. Like there's so much wrong with this email. There's so many reasons why uh, the answer is no. And you know, and P.S. I'm not even right. going to write you back. Uh, so, so listeners, right. those of you who are up and coming performers, heed Zach's advice and know from him as a media person, know from me as a show host that this does go on every day, and that we see through those of you who are just sending out blanket emails. That you know, sometimes it's high space, 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 comma, you know, where the name should get dropped in and it's not like we yeah. see through all that. So you're going to get Zach's attention. You're going to get my attention. You're going to get John's attention, Mary's attention, whoever you're trying to pitch. You know, if, if you show them that I am writing to Zach Greenberg because I know what he writes about, I know this is relevant to him and I'm actually typing this to him. I'm not copy paste and, and putting it to 99 other people on this list that I pulled Zach's contact information from. I am joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from New York City by the Senior Editor of Media and Entertainment at Forbes, Zach Greenberg. Visit his official website at zogreenberg.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. And yes, he is on social media on zogreenberg.com. You will see links for Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. His new book is called A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacked Silicon Valley. I will put a link to that too on the show page for this episode at nhte.net so you can order a copy from Amazon. I mentioned earlier about the Patreon for this show. Check out the bonus audio ad-free by going to the show website nhte.net and hit the orange-colored support us on Patreon button. It's only $5 a month. And don't forget that another way you can support this show is through your regular everyday purchases on Amazon, whether it's Zach's new book or anything at all that you're buying from them. It's no extra cost to you, so you're able to support NHTE without taking extra money out of your pocket. Just go to the show website, nhte.net, scroll down to the tall Amazon banner, and then once you click that, it will open their shopping app if you're on your phone or it'll open their website if you're on your computer either way at the end of the transaction they will kick back a small percentage of the sale to me which helps with the expenses i have for putting out a new episode of the show every week and by the way i don't even see what you purchased so thank you for your support of the show through the exclusive ad free bonus audio on patreon or by starting your online shopping through my amazon banner zach let's go back to talking about the new book and give the audience a taste of what's inside for example what are Spotify and Uber's quote unquote party rounds?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's a a fascinating thing that happened in the early aughts. Um, basically Ashton Kutcher and a few other folks had just started getting into the investing space and, um, and a bunch of these companies realized these, these, you know, nascent, um, you know, startups realized that there were a lot of advantages to letting in people like that, um, to, to become investors. And so, you know, basically if you're Uber and you're going to raise, you know, 10 million bucks for, for your next round, I mean, this is back then. Now they're raising, uh, I mean, now they're publicly traded, but, uh, you know, at the time Uber was raising, you know, let's say 10 million, um, a hundred million, something like that, uh, for a given round, you know, you, you, you have a limited amount of people who you can, Sort of invite um, in uh, and when a company a startup is that hot you got billionaires and venture funds lining up around the corner um, mm. to do it you have to turn people down because there's wow. such demand um, so you really want to kind of pick and choose who you're going to let in and, and have um, a strategic value to each one and you probably want to limit the total number so you don't have all kinds of investors making all kinds of different demands right so um, usually if you're coming in with fifty thousand bucks you know, a lot to you and me to invest in a startup. The uh, founders, you know, and and those who are who are controlling the investment um, cycle would would not really. It's not worth it to them to go through the trouble of the paperwork. Yeah. Uh, you know, for a measly fifty measly fifty grand if you're raising a hundred million. Yeah. Um, but if you're you know if you're Uber and you're looking for something else other than money and you're going to raise that hundred million dollars, you know, no matter what from whoever. You know, maybe you just say, Well, uh, Venture Firm X, I'm only gonna let you put in instead of ten million dollars, I'm gonna let you put in, you know, nine million dollars and then I'm gonna let twenty different celebrities invest, you know, fifty grand each.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that that really turns out could turn out pretty well for you, especially if like Uber was doing, you're trying to expand in different cities and you have a consumer facing product. So what they did, they did this thing called a party round, uh, they nicknamed it the party round. Um, a bunch of different entertainment industry uh, operatives, including Guy Siri uh, the manager of Bono, uh, so, and U2, and um, also Madonna, uh, and you know Scooter Braun, who manages Justin Bieber and a bunch of other acts. You know Troy Carter, who used to manage Lady Gaga. They, they were all uh, in on this party round, and they helped bring in some of the biggest names in Hollywood to invest in Uber. So wow. anyone from at Norton to Sophia Bush um, Jay-z got in wow. you know they they all got in on this round and the idea was we'll let you invest at at sort of like uh, a cheaper rate we'll give you the the price that you know the last valuation of the company from the last round which you know we've probably by that point already doubled we'll let you do that and and we'll let you come in for for basically as, as low as, 10 grand some of them came in for it. Oh. Uh, some of them put in you know 50 grand i think jay-z put in he put in a, a million dollars but he tried to write a check for for two million dollars uh because he wanted to get extra cash and travis call the founder returned it he said I, I only want you one million i want to give you that money <laughs> but um they, they all got in and each of them did different things so you know ed norton showed up at the la launch for uber and uh... you know um some of the other acts tweeted about it and, okay cool. um you know were really operative in in kind of helping uber expand
0: because
1: wow. don't forget it started off in san francisco it was like yeah. you know for like a black car service app um they you know and and, and really uh uber didn't start to expand insanely quickly until the launch of yeah, I would say until launch of UberX in the early odds around the time it was launching in LA and, and you had all these subs come on. So,
0: um,
1: yeah, when you have a consumer facing company like that, you know, and, and you had all these people and all these social followers tweeting about it, it really yeah. behooves yeah. you to, to, um, mm. you know, to, to let them come in and invest in, in exchange for, wow. um, some, some promotional help. Wow. Wow. And then, you know, I think the other trend in this book that you see is, it's not always about the social following it's about um you know sort of strategic value uh and that was the case with spotify who had a they had a you know a party round of their own and um that was headed up again by troy carter and a guy by the name of da Wallach, um who's a he used to be in the band chester french and um and you know it was like went to harvard with mark zuckerberg and was super well connected with you know a lot a lot of the sort of intersection of tech and, and music. So, you know, the Spotify thing was a little different because when Spotify was, was doing their quote unquote party round, one of the purposes was, you know, they were still trying to get support from the artist community. um, Many of whom had been burned by Napster or by streaming in general. And were like, you know, what's this, what's this thing going to do for me? This seems like a, a great way to cut, you know, to cut off my album sales and, and get, you know, a stream of pennies. And, um, but Spotify came in and, and really opened up to, um, to a lot of acts, uh, that, you know, there were early believers like Troy Carter, D.A. Wallach who went around, you know, I think convinced a a lot of acts that this is, this is going to be the future. And, um, and again, you know, in the early odds or the early 2010s, I should say, you had folks like Diddy and Steve Aoki and, um, you know, several others coming in and investing in Spotify and, you know, kind of paving the way for the artist community to come around and to, you know, and to be supportive uh, of this platform. Mm. And, um, mm. you know, I think especially when you look at hip hop, how hip hop reacted to the streaming revolution, it just, it goes back to the whole notion of ownership. And uh, my last book before this was called Three Kings, Jay-Z, Diddy and Dr. Dre were the, were the, protagonists of it and um you know one of the things that they did is not only uh did they find a way to sort of diversify their business interests uh around the time of you know the Napster era and you know when recorded music was was just kind of in a a free fall but you know so they were already prepared for for uh the, the streaming era but they found a way each of them to own a piece of a streaming platform, so mm. you know they own their own music, they own their own masters, or you know maybe portions of their own masters or publishing, but they also own their own platforms wow. or you know co-own. Um, and and so that was Jay Z buying Title, that was Diddy getting his early Spotify stake, that was okay. Dre uh, with Beats Music, which then became Apple Music. Okay. So you know the, they uh, they they knew that it wasn't just about. Um, diversifying is about owning your own music and yeah. owning the platform yeah. on which it's presented. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I think that was a pretty fantastic uh, set of moves there. Wow. And, and you can now see it. Like those are the three wealthiest musicians of any genre in America. Mm. right
0: now. Well, let's pull out something else from the A-List Angels book. There's something in there about what happened when Lady Gaga met Steve Jobs.
1: Yeah, that was uh, one of my favorite anecdotes. And Troy Carter told me this one. So, he arranged, Troy did, a meeting with Steve Jobs. Um, this is probably in the late aughts. And, uh, you know, right when Gaga was getting super huge and they were going to talk about a new um, messaging app or a feature that Apple was going to introduce. So, you know, that was why Steve Jobs wanted to talk to them because I think Gaga at that point was one of the most followed people on, on Twitter. and um, And so she went in. And, you know, and they talked and then Steve gave her some advice and he said, um, you know, he, they're in his office and, and there's this table in the office and he points the table and he says, look, this is everything that Apple makes. These are our flagship products. And, and it was about a half a dozen items on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the, uh, the iPhone and the iPad. And, um, I don't remember if they, maybe it was, there was an iPod and, and, you know, a Mac laptop or something,
0: uh-huh.
1: maybe a iMac or whatever, whatever it was. Then. And he said, this is it. This is, you know, this is my suite of, um, of flagship products. It's not about having the most products and, you know, all kinds of different colors and so forth. Uh, it's about perfecting, you know, a half dozen of them yeah. and, and, um, and making sure that, that that's what gets out to consumers. And, you know, Gaga just, I think, kind of internalized that, and and who knows if if this is sort of like a driving force that has guided a lot of since she made in her career. But you know, if you look at the number of albums she's put out um over the course of the career, you know, it's kind of comparable. I think it's five or six, and and that's kind of her mindset. It's like, mm-hmm. let me just make sure I get this completely right, and it doesn't matter if if I take a while in between. You know, this is going to be the thing that's gonna that 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 is gonna you know, inform, um, inform my efforts and this this kind of philosophy. Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I wonder, I didn't get to talk to her for the book, but I wonder if she, if she would kind of cite that as as kind of a turning
0: point for her. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I I promise I'm just going to ask you for, for one more story from the book. Otherwise this is going to turn into an audio version of eight list angels. (laughs) So, uh, you tell a story of how Nas introduced hip hop to venture capital.
1: Yeah. Um, So, you know, Nas, I mentioned the three Kings before that's, you know, sort of from a financial perspective in hip hop, but certainly if you talk to anybody about best rappers of all time, um, and you're talking about your three Kings, he's got to be in the conversation uh, with Jay-Z and and Biggie and Tupac, et cetera. And, um, you know, but he was always sort of lagging the rest of them in, uh, you know, when it came to earnings and, it was probably in the, I'd say, the, the again, the same kind of like late aughts, early 2010s period. Um, he, he brought on a new manager, Forbes 30 Under 30, by the name of Anthony Sala. And um, Anthony helped him kind of straighten out his finances, but also, you know, start to take advantage of some of these opportunities that were, that were coming his way. And um, that meant, you know, uh, getting to the venture capital world. So, one of his first investments um, was genius, uh, formerly known as rap genius, and he actually you know went in and and um, met with the founders of this company and you know he saw that you could annotate your own lyrics and uh, bring additional meaning to your songs, create new ways for fans to engage with your work and he said he said, "This is going to be bigger than twitter." he said, "I'm in." and he was one of the first investors in genius. Hmm. Um, you know, back when it had raised probably less than a million dollars. And now it's, I think it's, I mean, it's raised tens of millions of dollars, maybe, maybe even uh, close to a hundred. And, um, you know, it's become this, this big media um, empire and, you know, Nas was able to, to get in extremely early wow. uh, and, and also, you know, kind of provide some like stamp of approval for, you know, because having somebody like that who had that level of respect, kind of showed that, you know, that it was a legitimate place to go. And um, Nas coming on, and, and I think he was Genius's first verified artist. So like Twitter or Instagram, they had verified artists come in and actually annotate their own lyrics. And, uh, you know, that's that's precisely what um, what Nas did and, you know, ended up uh, uh, really helping to boost the company. And, and that really paved the way for him to get into a whole... Yeah. Raft of other um, companies from Lyft to Dropbox, Coinbase, so forth. Yeah, and um, he he actually is really good friends with a guy by the name of Ben Horowitz, who's the the, uh, co-founder of Andreessen Horowitz, one of the biggest venture firms out there, um, who's become a real conduit for a lot of these uh, artists who are getting into into the investing business as well. Mm.
0: Fascinating. Well, uh, we're going to try to head towards the home stretch here. Just want to finish up with some more like opinion-type questions. But last week on the show, Mariah Formica, who was top 20 on season 13 of The Voice and then last year was on American Idol, she talked with me about her experience, particularly with The Voice, and how it helped her career. Although, as we talked, and she led me to bring up episode 316 of this show when my guest was Allison Porter, who won season 10 of The Voice, yet, as I was telling Mariah last week... Allison Porter told me, quote, I think the show really is about the coaches, unfortunately. It doesn't support the artist quite the way that it should, end quote. So, Zach, you sit in a different seat in the entertainment industry. I'm curious as to your view of these reality performance shows, The Voice, American Idol, America's Got Talent, things like that.
1: Yeah, you know, um, I think when you're coming up as an artist, exposure is, is so important, and... um you know, I mean, I, I remember like when I got my first book deal. It was sort of like, you know, I, I'll sign anything you put in front of me, and uh, <laughs> and I, right? And I know that that's been a that's been a, um, you know, a, a path that a lot of musicians have followed and, and have regretted it later on. But you know, then again, it's like, like what else are you going to do? Are you going to turn down that that big moment? Because mm-hmm. you know, uh, once you get big, once you get that exposure. You, you you do gain the leverage to you know if you're lucky to renegotiate um, and to strike other deals and mm. you know if you if you never take that chance and sign that bad deal then you know <laughs> wow. in a lot of ways you're not going to have a shot you're not you may you may never get the shot yeah. so I don't know I mean I, I'm kind of conflicted on it no, it's a good point though because on the one hand yeah you you don't want to encourage people to to take bad deals but then again you also You know, you got to think about how you're going to how you're going to make that first splash. And yeah, um, Yeah.
0: I like I like how you said, you know, consider the alternative. You you sit home and do nothing. I mean, I don't literally mean do nothing, but you don't get that chance. So is it really all that awful as compared to the alternative? Right. (laughs) And uh, by the way, listeners, while I'm pointing to some recent conversations, meaning the Mariah Formica interview, I do want to clarify over the past couple episodes of the show. I've talked about Access Vegas, the e-newsletter that you can subscribe to, and how their editor has been writing about what's particularly happening in Las Vegas right now, meaning nothing but what he foresees coming up. I want you to understand that's not the only thing that they're publishing. So if you're hesitant about signing up for the Access Vegas newsletter, they are publishing other content. But at the same time, this is also a great time to go through all the archives because when you sign up for the access vegas newsletter you do get access to all of their archives so it's a good time to go and read kind of some of the quote unquote back issues if you will go to the show website nhte.net click on the access vegas logo and then during sign up put in the code bruce to get five dollars off and you'll get your first email you'll see what he's writing about now but then you can at the same time dig into what i'm describing with the Access Vegas archives. Again, to sign up, start at my show website, nhte.net. Click on the Access Vegas logo and then put in the code BRUCE at sign up to get $5 off. Zach, you mentioned a couple times as we've been talking, you've mentioned Spotify, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts about the popularity of their platform versus the pushback from artists like Blake Morgan, who on episode 208 of my show talked about his closed door artist only meeting at spotify his quote to me was i love streaming i love making playlists and i love being able to take my music with me but what i don't love is how little musicians get paid for all of that end quote yet just to be fair and make sure that i report both sides of the story i also interviewed australian solo acoustic guitarist alan gogle who is making a living off of Spotify, and he said to me, quote, "I really owe Spotify and just the digital ecosphere a lot. Spotify really changed my life end quote so Zach, your thoughts about Spotify?
1: yeah, I mean, look, you know um I think it's hard to come up with a with a perfect solution right uh, but the the reality is you know we all have this kind of image of you know the struggling artist and you know, we all want the struggling artist to become a successful artist, right? But, you know, there will always be that struggling artist before there will be that successful artist. And you can't just go from, you know, you can't just go straight to being the successful artist, unfortunately. Um, are there more equitable ways of, of uh, you know, of compensating acts? Um, you know, I, I think, I think for sure, but you know, it, it's what we got and it's better than what there was before. Um, you know, it, which is to say Napster and LimeWire and all that. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, I think that the, the record business of the nineties and, and, and prior, um, was really kind of artificially inflated. Right. I mean, you had, you know, these CDs that were being sold, kids are going out and paying 20 bucks for a CD. Um, that you know a lot of entertainment industry people will tell you like labels would tell acts you know there are too many good songs on this album save you know save a couple for the next one and just throw in some more filler tracks i mean i've actually heard stories like that um and and i was one of those kids paying 20 bucks you know going out every uh, whenever i could to buy a, a new cd and you know that's too expensive i mean you can't be paying 20 bucks per cd yeah um it's just, it's not, uh, that's not fair to the fans. So you got to find a thing that's fair to the fans and that's fair to the artists. And, yep. um, you know, we may have overcorrected to where it's a little more fair to the fans <laughs> now than it is to the artists. But, um, but you know, I mean, uh, one of the things in the book that's in there with, um, respect to Spotify is I, I interviewed Amanda Palmer, um, uh, of, uh, Dresden dolls. And she's one of the smartest people i ever talked to in my life. and, You know, just really, uh, especially when it comes to music, understands it back and forth and, you know, has been has been through it all and seen it all. And she was like, look, you know, I don't have any misconceptions about Spotify. I know exactly what it is. I'm going to make enough to buy me a ham sandwich. And you know what? Like, fine, I'm going to go and I'm going to make my money on Patreon and I'm going to make my money playing shows. And you know what, like if I can get additional exposure for those on Spotify, then that's great. And, um, you know, and basically I will, I'll take it over, over Napster was, was her yeah, attitude. I like, it. uh, and, and, um, and I think that's, you know, that's what it kind of comes down to. It's like, obviously harder now that there are no live shows anywhere for the next while, um, other than, you know, on the internet, which is a whole different animal, but, you know, what are the other things that you can do with your music, you know, once you get that exposure. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I, I take it back to being a book author, you know, it's, if you are really successful as an author, it's, it's not because, you know, it's very exceptions, it's not because you're making so much on, on the book itself. It's because, you know, you get booked on speaking gigs and, you know, maybe you get a higher profile day job or you get option you get your book option to be made into a movie. Um, or it gets options, and it never gets made into a movie, but you get a few months rent, you know? So I think that's the way you got to look at it.
0: Yeah, wonderfully said. That, that's great because I liked that perspective that you presented from her because it kind of goes back to, I remember long ago, I wrote a blog called Don't Put All Your Eggs in Facebook's Basket, meaning... Like, yeah, you have to post stuff on Facebook, but you also got to post on Twitter and you also got to post on Instagram and et cetera, et cetera. And in this case, it's like, yeah, it might not be the best model, but if you're just sitting back waiting to make your money off of Spotify, you're missing out on so much. That's why you do live shows. That's why you sell merch. That's why you and all the other things that you're supposed to do. So so good, good perspective. The final question I want to ask you before we close and you and I record some extra content for the exclusive bonus audio available through my Patreon I mentioned in the intro that among the many speaking engagements that you've done with South by Southwest, with everything that our country, the world, the entertainment industry, and everyone has gone through, I'm talking about the pandemic, do you think that big music events like that will have to change in some ways, or will it be a case of old habits die hard, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, they're just going to automatically default to what they've always done, and I don't mean South by Southwest specifically, I just mean those types of events as we have known them pre-coronavirus era?
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be a really tough next year or so for for live events, including live music. Um, And so by extension for all of the music business, because that's where so much of the income is coming from for artists. You know, I do think if we're we're smart about it, um, you know, hopefully we can get to a point where as a country we're, Better prepared um, to mobilize and and you know deal with outbreaks when they occur and and to be proactive instead of reactive and um, you know I, I fully believe that I mean I'm not a doctor but if we had been better prepared we could have avoided a, a lot of a lot of what happened um, this time and you know and and I think we need to as a country be beefing up our medical capacity are, or, or, you know, are in terms of taking on people and responding and caring for them, but also treating, getting vaccines out faster. And, you know, if we do the right thing and kind of get ourselves prepared for this, then the next time something comes around, hopefully it, it's not going to totally uh, bring our country and our economy to its knees as it has, um, you know, in this past and cost so many people uh, so many lives and, and um, you know, so many lost loved ones. But I do think that once we have a vaccine and we have antibody testing and, 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 you know, uh, this is sort of kind of faded, you know, in from view as, as, as we can only hope it will some point within the next year. Or so I, I do think we'll be going back to, uh, to concerts and, and so forth as we, you know, as, as we used to. And, yeah. uh, I think probably by South by next year, you know, we'll, we'll be back at it. You know, uh, I think that we're going to start to see some changes in terms of how acts are compensated for live shows. I mean, it's going to be, you know, we're already seeing things in, in contracts. Um, you know, as as some of the acts I talked to are contemplating when they're returning to the road, you're already hearing stories about, you know, nobody is willing to, to put up these kinds of big advances for tours that they were before. A lot more of it is sharing the burden with the act, um, you know, splits and uh, of, of you know, door and and such, so that it's not just the the promoter paying them all cash. And I think that we're also going to see you know from from the insurance side of things. It's kind of boring, but things like you know force majeure clauses and contracts are going to be changed. It's going to be impossible to get insurance to cover to cover anything. And, and there's as a result of pandemics. Yeah. Um, and so forth. And it'll be probably really broadly defined. So it doesn't have to be, it won't specifically be, you know, COVID-19. It, right. it, it could be any anything. So, you know, I think there are going to be some changes, but, you know, but I, I do think that this is not a forever thing. And if we can get back to kind of a responsible way of approaching crises, you know, hopefully the next one will not have this kind of an impact.
0: For sure. For sure. Well, Zach, You're there right in the epicenter of it all in New York City. Please stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you for your time. Congratulations on the new book. Really enjoyed our conversation. I appreciate you coming on Now here, This Entertainment.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to author Zach Greenberg, the Forbes Senior Editor of Media and Entertainment. Visit his official website at zogreenberg.com. Sign up for his newsletter there. Check out his three other books and find links to Zach on social media, being Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do be sure to follow him on those platforms. His new book, It's called A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacked Silicon Valley. And I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net so you can order your copy from Amazon. Don't forget that Zach and I will have some extra conversation over in the bonus content that's only available exclusively through Patreon. There's already similar audio up there from the last four months worth of guests. It's only five bucks a month and it's ad free and that's the only place you can get it. Go to the show website, nhte.net, hit the orange colored support us on Patreon button, and that will take you to where you can gain access to the exclusive content. Remember also about scrolling down on nhte.net to the tall Amazon banner to start all of your shopping through them that way so that they can kick back a small percentage of the sale to help me with all the expenses I have for doing this show every week for what is more than six years now. There is no extra cost to you for doing that. For now, that will do it for episode 325. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another installment of Now Hear This Entertainment.